Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, thanks for coming out on this windy Sunday morning. It's not oppressively hot, so we'll we'll take that. Okay. Uh, hey, if you have grown up in the church, or uh, maybe you've even been a Christian for a couple of years now, you've probably heard people say that Jesus has fulfilled hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testaments. Uh, Old Testament. You know, Christians say that a lot. I think it's one of the reasons that. We feel strongly and believe so strongly in the Word of God because we know that there are fulfilled prophecies in here. But just think through this scenario with me. Okay, let's say you're hanging out with a friend or a neighbor, and you get talking about spiritual things, and you say, you know, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And they say, well, why? And you say, well, one of the reasons is just all of the hundreds of prophecies he fulfilled from the Old Testament. And they look at you and they say, like what? Like name some. Okay, what are you saying? What, what, what are you saying? I think for a lot of us, it's like, we maybe, maybe you got a Christmas one or two, okay? Like, born of a virgin, okay? Maybe born in Bethlehem. But beyond that, I think they don't come to mind as quickly for us. And one of the reasons I wanted to walk us through the book of Zechariah this summer is you're going to get to see many prophecies, about Jesus that were eventually fulfilled by him. And as we get to really what is part two of Zechariah now, you're going to see even more of them. So the first part of Zechariah is the eight night visions that he has, and we're through that now. We're getting into a little bit more of a prophetic part of it. He's just straight prophesying to people. So let's open up our Bibles. We are in Zechariah chapter six, if you brought your own Bible towards the end of the Old Testament. If you picked up a Bible at the welcome table, which I encourage you to do, uh, we're going to be on uh, page 648. Or if you're using your app, uh, which might be great today, we've got a bunch of kind of secondary verses that are in there as well. Uh, you just tap the Renovation Church app, summer services, and then weekly uh, verses. Uh, if you're here uh, for the first time today, let me tell you a little bit about Zechariah, the person that we're studying. He was a prophet. Uh, he did most of his ministry about 520 years or so before Jesus came to earth in Bethlehem. This is about uh, 18 years after Daniel and the lion's den, if that helps anyone. So that was in uh, 538 BC. We're now in 520 uh, BC. And Zechariah is primarily speaking to the exiles, who, the Jewish people who had come back from Babylon, and now they're back in uh, Jerusalem. Okay, and then uh, today in uh, chapter 6, we're going to see that God essentially uh, is asking Zechariah to enact uh, what we would might call an earthly drama. He's going to play act something that's going to richly benefit the people. This is kind of like, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. It's kind of a tough book to read, but God asks Ezekiel to do, hey, we're trying to have a church service over here. Quiet down your car. Uh, God asked Ezekiel to do all sorts of like fascinating, sort of dramatic things to get the point across. And we see a little bit of that today uh, in the book of Zechariah. Uh, before we read the passage, let me also say this. Uh, as a Bible teaching church that spends you know, most of our year going verse by verse through a book of the Bible or through a section of the Bible, we get to come across a wide range of passages. Uh, so our messages here at Renovation Church are a bit more varied in style than you might be used to or maybe what you grew up with. And so sometimes they're really applicational. Uh, other times they may feel a bit more emotional or inspirational. Uh, sometimes we get to a passage where it feels even a bit more philosophical or theological. And today... Uh, we're going to get to a part of the passage where we're just going to, a part of the scripture, where we're just going to learn a lot. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about who God is and particularly his story throughout scripture. And that's okay. 
all of those different things are needed because all of those different things are in the Bible. Okay, so let's take a look at the passage for Zechariah chapter 6. We're just doing one section of a chapter each week, so we are actually going to start at verse 9 today. So here's what verse 9 says. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Take silver and gold from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah. If anyone's pregnant, we've got great baby names here uh, who have arrived from Babylon. And at this church, there are at least 47 of you that are pregnant right now. Uh, So feel free to take that. (laughs) Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Okay, so here's what's happening. The Jewish people who've come back from exile have been back uh, for a little bit, but now more of them are starting to come back. And some of them are coming back even rather wealthy. They've prospered in the empire of Babylonia. And here we have three wealthy guys with interesting names. They're coming to Jerusalem, they're meeting with Zechariah, and they're wealthy. They have silver, and they have gold, and the Lord is going to use their silver and gold to create this symbol, we're going to see in a little bit here, that's going to influence people for centuries. In fact, it's still influencing us today, 2,500 years later. And I just find that really interesting, because... These men could have used their silver and gold for whatever they wanted to, right? They could have got some more gold trim on their ancient couch or whatever people did with gold back in those days, right? But they use it for the Lord, and then the Lord uses it to impact people for centuries. And I can't help to think that this is similar to what even is happening here, as many of you continue to amazingly sacrifice, really, in this three-year period for Illuminate. As we're giving sacrificially for this building expansion, which is happening right now. That's why we're meeting outside. But I think the Lord is just going to use that to impact people for all of eternity. Uh, By the way, I want to encourage you, uh, if you live in the area this week even, to drive by our building. Hopefully tomorrow, uh, they're going to start doing a site work outside. So especially if you've got little ones, drive by on that frontage road there. They're going to have the excavators and the bulldozers out, getting ready to start working on the parking lot and moving the pond. So lots of kind of cool stuff happening at the building this week. Okay, let's keep reading. I want you to see what they do with their silver and gold now. So this is verse 11. It says, Take the silver and gold and make a crown... And set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Josadak. Now, this act actually would have shocked everybody in the room except for Zechariah, who knew it was like a drama pointing to something. Because for one, these people, the people of Judah, they hadn't had a king for 70 years since the exile started. So they're thinking, are we getting a king here? And then secondly, it would have been outrageously shocking because Zechariah is crowning the high priest, Joshua as king here in this symbol, but the high priest can't be king. See, in ancient Israel, in the Old Testament, they're really different. There are actually three different offices of power. Kind of like we have the three branches of government in the United States. Y'all remember this from ninth grade civics, right? Right? Okay, four of you. Now we have, what do we have? We have the executive branch, which is the the president, thank you. Uh, We have the legislative branch, which is the the Congress, yep, and then we have the judicial branch, which is the, uh, thank you, Luke, in the front, I appreciate that. Uh, yes, the Supreme Court. Okay, so we have branches of government because we divide power in America, and they essentially were doing a similar thing in ancient Israel. They had the king, and they had the priests, led by the high priests, and then they had the prophets, and they each had a specific kind of role to play in the leadership of Israel, but the king was not the priest. And the priest was not the king. There was supposed to be a separation between civic and religious leadership in Israel. I think probably because God knew that no one person could hold that much power. In fact, a couple times in the Bible, you see kings try and 
gather power from themselves and sort of enter into the priesthood too. Uh, King Saul kind of does this. Uh, King Uzziah is a great example of this. In fact, in Second Chronicles 26, King Uzziah goes into the temple and he's going to uh, light incense on the on the altar of the Lord. And as soon as he does, and that's only for the priest to do. And as soon as he does that, the Lord strikes him with leprosy because the king is not supposed to be the priest and the priest is not supposed to be the king. But something is different here in Zechariah because as Zechariah is kind of putting the crown on top of the high priest Joshua, God says the following here. And now he's pointing to the future. Now he's pointing to a totally different type of person. No regular person here. So look at verses 12 and 13 now in our passage. It says, tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty, and he will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Now, these two verses, and really this whole act here where Zechariah is coming in and he's crowning the high priest, this isn't actually about Joshua the high priest. This is all symbolic of a future Joshua to come. Actually, you want to hear something really cool? Joshua, which if you were speaking in Hebrew, you would say Yeshua. When you take that word and you pronounce it in English, you know what it is? It's Jesus. Actually, Joshua and Jesus are the same name. A translators just translate them different so you don't get confused. And so what's happening here is this future Joshua that Zechariah is pointing to, or we might even say this future Jesus, I love the Bible, this is cool. This future Jesus, verse 13 says, will sit on his throne as a king and will also be a priest. And it says there will be harmony between the two, the kingship and the priesthood. And that may seem kind of normal to us in hindsight, but to them, this was unthinkable. And yet that's exactly who Jesus was, right? He's the king of kings, and the Bible says he's our high priest. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7, you you maybe knew that Jesus was king, but maybe you're a bit more unfamiliar with him as priest. Uh, If you are, I highly encourage you this week, write down uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Um, That's a verse that really explains that Jesus is our high priest. In fact, let me just read a snippet of it to you. Uh, You can turn to Hebrews 7, or this is in your app as well if you're following along. Uh, Verse 23 of that chapter says this. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So in other words, Jesus, like a priest, like a mediator, is representing us to God like a priest, attending over the sacrifice for our sins because he is the sacrifice for our sins. And he's our high priest, right? Because he never sins and he never dies. And then Hebrews 7, which is a great chapter, also uh, points to another very important prophecy from the Old Testament, and it points to Psalm 110.4. And in Psalm 110, it says that when the Messiah comes, so this is written hundreds of years before Jesus, it says when the Messiah comes, not only will he be a priest, but he will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, it says. Now, who in the world is Melchizedek? Now, Melchizedek was a priest But he was a priest of the one true God, but he was a priest before there were the regular, what we call Levitical priests from the tribe of Levi, the priests that attended over the tabernacle in the temple. He's way before that. In fact, Melchizedek, if you want to read about him, is in kind of the beginning pages of the Bible, all the way back to Genesis chapter 14. And Melchizedek comes along and he sees Abraham, and as a priest, he blesses 
Abraham. And then we see these really fascinating parallels. You see Melchizedek, he brings out for Abraham, the Bible says, bread and wine. Who else does that in the Bible? Jesus does at the Last Supper. And then we see Abraham gives a tenth, he tithes of everything he has to Melchizedek, just like we do to Jesus. And then we read that Melchizedek, it says, is not just a priest of the one true God, that he is also a king, it says. In fact, it says that he is the king of a place called Salem, which is the old name for Jerusalem. And so the Bible prophesies, this is amazing, in Psalm 110 and in Zechariah 6, that when the Messiah comes, he will be a priest. But not just a priest, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, meaning he will be a priest king. And that's who Jesus was, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. The Bible says the government is on his shoulders, and yet he's the priest who dies in our place and offers an amazing sacrifice. Now, Again, we can read about that and say, oh, wow, that's really neat. But it's not neat. It's amazing. It's miraculous that this happened. They couldn't have even worked out how this was going to happen, and yet it happened. In fact, one of the things I think is really cool is we have lots of, in history, Jewish sources in that time period in between Zechariah and when Jesus came. There's a number of Jewish writings that point to Zechariah chapter 6, and they say these verses, particularly the ones we just read, verses 12 and 13, absolutely are key verses for Jews to know what the Messiah is going to look like when he comes. And they talked about that all the time, in part because there were other prophets that said similar things. Other prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, for instance, also prophesied about the Messiah by calling him the branch. Did you see that in the passage where it says he's, the Messiah will be the branch? Because they say the branch is one who's going to come, and not only is he going to save Israel, he's going to branch out. And he's going to bring fruit and save the Gentiles, the non-Jews, as well. And we see twice in these two verses right here, it says, when the Messiah comes, he will build the temple of the Lord. Now, it's kind of interesting because they were actually in the process of building the second temple, of rebuilding the temple. But here we say, no, this is actually a different temple. This is a deeper prophecy here. The Messiah is going to build a temple that's going to branch out. What, what in the world is that? How does that work? We see this explained actually in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this to you from Ephesians. It's in your app as well. Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer, he's talking to new Christians here, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now here comes the temple part. With Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, so this is Christian theology for you. When you believe in Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. And if the Holy Spirit is in within you, what does that make your body? Your body is the temple. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus, therefore, just like the prophecy, is branching out the temple all across the whole world, which is pretty sweet. Okay, let's take a look at verse 14 that really shows us that this act of putting the crown on on the high priest, it's a symbol. So verse 14 says this. It says, The crown will then be given to Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, and Hen, son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. So they're not actually making Joshua their king. This is all just a symbol of the Messiah to come. And what they're to do is to take that crown of silver and gold and bring it to the temple where it'll be a memorial. In fact, most translations say it'll be a reminder. 
In fact, this is really cool too. According to, uh, according to Jewish authorities on this second temple, this very crown, the gold and silver one from Zechariah 6, was set up in the temple, up high for people to see and remember that this type of Messiah was coming. So think about this. Okay, put yourself in their sandals. Let's say it's like a hundred years before Jesus. And you've come to Jerusalem maybe for the required Passover festival. And you're there. Maybe you've got little kids with you. And you're, you're walking into the temple. And you look up and you see this crown from Zechariah chapter 6. What you would do is you would talk to your family members and to your kids. And you would say, look, there's the crown. Remember, the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will be a king. Look at the crown. But it's in the temple because not only will he be a king, he will be a priest. And he will offer the sacrifice that will wipe away your sins once and for all. Right? And your children would say, how is that possible? I don't, I don't understand. And you would say, I don't understand either. But God said it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. And there's just so many beautiful, fulfilled prophecies like this in the Bible. And we're going to see a ton more in the rest of Zechariah. But I think this is partly why you see a lot of these interesting statements in the New Testament that I think a lot of us as American Christians don't even really know what to do with. And this is where I I pray this teaching from Zechariah this summer is helpful to you. Like, let me give you an example of this. In Luke 24, uh, when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus. So I don't know if you remember the story, but he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two of his followers, and they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And then the Bible says this, Luke 24, uh, verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In fact, there are a lot of statements like that in the Bible. We see a bunch of them in the book of Acts, especially when Paul is explaining Jesus to the Jewish people. Like, let me show you an example. Uh, Acts 28, Paul speaking to the Jews in Rome, and it says this, he, Paul, witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses, and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So, think about this. Paul isn't just looking to the Jewish people and saying, okay, let me tell you what Jesus did. He fed the 5,000. He died on the cross. It says he's literally showing them Jesus from the prophets. Okay, and it's not just him saying, look, Jesus said it would be born in Bethlehem. They're probably literally getting out the book of Zechariah together and just reading it together. And Paul would be saying, look, when you come to Jerusalem, you've seen the crown, right, in the temple. Listen, it happened. It happened. He's the king. He's the priest. Look right here, Zechariah chapter 6. You know that it says that when the Messiah comes, he'll be the branch. It's happening in front of our eyes. God is branching out to the Gentiles. Look right here. It's, it's, it's in the passage. It's in your scroll. It says Zechariah, Zechariah says that when the Messiah comes, he will build the temple and it will branch out. What is that? Well, look, the Gentiles, they have the Holy Spirit in them. God's doing miraculous things through them. It's happening in front of our eyes. And Paul shows them Jesus from the prophets. And so many of them believe because the prophecies are fulfilled. Okay, let's read the final verse of our uh, chapter. So verse 15. It says, those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. I I just love when Zechariah says, okay, you will know. If all this comes true, then you're going to know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. 
And my friends, this is why I think reading the prophets is important. We are in this summer what probably is the most neglected section of the Bible. This is called the minor prophets. It's all the prophets at the end of the Old Testament. But this is important, and I think Zechariah is so right. If his words prove true, and the Messiah does come, and when he comes, he is a priest and a king, and he does branch out, and he does build the temple. And like Zechariah 5 says, he, he does fly our sin away. And like Zechariah 3 says, he does pluck us out from the fire and give us new clothes and wipe away sin in one day. If all of those things are truly happened, if he fulfilled all of those prophecies, I think as humans, we really have no logical choice but to believe that God has sent him and that his words are true and that this book, that is true. I think to deny its truth is to deny reason. I mean, to look at a book with hundreds, not just five or ten, and that would be impressive enough. But to look at a book with hundreds of prophecies and then say, you know what, this is just, this is just myth. Hundreds of prophecies fulfilled. To look at that and say, it's just myth, it's just legend, it's just a children's story. I think that is an indefensible position. Okay, think of it this way. Okay, let's say you... Uh, you published a book, uh, and you're, you're a great writer. Let's say it goes really well. And let's say within your book that you published here in 2023, you make 50 predictions about the next. Oh, let's say you, I'll, I'll up it. Let's go with, like, the prophecies about Jesus. Let's say you make 300 predictions about the next 50 years, and all of them come true. How do you think people would treat you in that book? Right? You make predictions about, like, hey, you know, in 2043, the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl. You say that in, like, 2036, uh, Josh Pollard is going to become president. Uh, you, you just make all these outrageous predictions, right? And let's say they all come true. How would people treat you? I mean, even after the first five came true, you would be on every podcast in America. People would want, I was talking to Pastor Josh in between the service, and he was telling me about the guy who pre- predicted the recession in 2008. And they said, even now, you know, 15 years later, every time he says something, people are like, oh, this is the guy who predicted the recession. we got to listen to him, right? If you predicted that many things and came true, you would be an expert, right? And so some of you, I think you just need to hear this. You need to be reminded of this this morning, especially if you're exploring or kind of getting back into Christianity. I urge you to look at the Bible freshly again. Okay, what if this was written 50 years ago and 300 predictions came true? How would you treat this? Because that's what happened. Yeah, it's not 50 years old. It's a couple thousand years old. But they all came true. And you can verify it. And archaeology proves it. And you can look it up. It's all there. So what is that? It's the Word of God. And I encourage you to just look at it fresh. If it's been a long time since you've read the Bible, or you've never read the Bible, one of the things I want you to do is on your way out today, I want you to stop by our welcome table. And we have a whole bunch of Bibles. They're just sitting on the table. And I want you to take one. They're for you. They're free for you. It even has a little note in there that shows you where to start in the Bible. And for those of you that are believers, you're followers of Jesus, my prayer for this morning as we go through this passage and went through this passage is that you freshly just want to have a passion for the Word of God. Would you open up this book again this week? If it's been a while, maybe it's been a week or a month, maybe it's been years. But this is God's Word to humanity, and my friends, this is God's Word to you. He wants to speak to you this week through this book to speak to your heart, to speak to your mind, to show you who he is. And I just pray, I pray that you would open it up and read it, all right? All right, let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much uh, 
for these prophecies that we, we don't just have to go on a guess. We have evidence, amazing evidence that you are real, that you are true, that you did what you said and you're going to do what you said you're going to do in the future. And Lord, build our faith in your word. Get us back in the word this week. And may we just dive deeper into you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.